The message is called Wake Up Now. And it's this initial call for us to, to wake up, maybe from a sleepy spirituality or maybe a half-hearted spirituality. There is a Senegalese proverb that says, The opportunity that God sends does not wake up those that are asleep. The opportunity that God sends does not wake up those that are asleep. And what that proverb is saying is that there are opportunities that God sends into our lives on a daily basis. And if we are asleep spiritually or if we are just going through the motions spiritually, we're going to miss those because the Holy Spirit's not going to just like force us out of our sleep and force us to get into action. But if we're awake and attuned to what God is doing around us, it is then and only then that we see what God desires to do. So again, the opportunity that God sends does not wake up those that are asleep. We need to be awake and ready for what God is doing. So we want to take a moment this morning, and I want to read uh, from Romans chapter 13, uh, as we will be focusing primarily on verse 11, uh, but we're going to be touching on some things in uh, some of the surrounding verses as well. Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 1 where it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, is, he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love one and each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So one thing that that passage tells me is that one of my changes for the new year is to bring up my large print Bible from the office and put this tiny print on the shelf. So is life. So what is this passage calling us to do? It's, I mean, if we're talking about waking up from our sleep, it's wake up and do what? 
Uh, it's often helpful uh, if you're waking up to have something that you do. Otherwise, if you're like me and you just wake up and there's nothing that you need to do, you, you're prone to fall back to sleep. So verse 11 in Romans chapter 13, it, it begins with these words, and do this, understanding the present time. And so as we see that phrase, and do this, understanding the present time, we want to go back and summarize what it is that this this is representing. And the first thing that he calls us to there in these opening verses of Romans 13 is to submit to authority. We saw that in verses 1 through 7. And so this isn't, you know, there, there's a lot of nuance here. Uh, you know, if, if the authorities tell you to do something against God, obviously that that's outside the bounds of what this passage is calling us to do. This is kind of a baseline of how we're to behave, how we're to conduct ourselves. And the primary focus here, I believe, is to maintain our witness, to maintain our witness as Christians, because especially for Christians who are first receiving this letter from Paul are living under persecution. And so when you're living under persecution, you don't want to be under the radar of the government unless you have to be. Uh, don't do anything that's going to draw attention to yourself. Uh, it's enough that you're in trouble for naming the name of Jesus. So Paul's calling them to wake up, to submit to authority, and maintain your witness in this world. And that's a good reminder for us because it's, it's one of those things that we can sleep on. The reality that every day this week, no matter where you were or what you were doing, you were a witness for Christ. The question is, were you a good witness or a poor witness? But naming the name of Jesus and following Jesus, all of us are witnesses to him. The question is, are we good ones or not? But not only does it call us to submit to authority, he calls us in verses 8 through 10 to love your neighbor. Because he says, loving your neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. It's through loving others that we reverse all that's evil, all that's harmful, all that's self-seeking in the world. And in fact, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Okay. It was being asked, they were looking for one thing. So Jesus could have named one commandment and been done, and he could have said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he could have answered the question. But Jesus, he says, and the second one is like it. In other words, he said, I can't just give you one. In answering your question, what's the greatest commandment, I have to give you two. Because, in fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, they're essentially divided into two categories. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you summarize the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus, when he's being asked for one, he says, I can't just give you one. I have to give you the second because it's like it. Love God and love people the way that God does. And again, the context of waking up from our sleep is to realize that our time in this world is limited. That's a scary reality, isn't it? And this isn't about, you know, that the world's going to end or anything like that. It's simply a matter of our biological clocks keep ticking, and it's ticking closer and closer to the final hour. And for my the journal calendar that I keep for this next year, I saw somebody give the advice that kind of helps drive this point home, and that is on the first page, they said, write the number of days until you turn 75. 
that's very eye-opening to look at this number and say, this is the number of days I have left to 75. I may live past 75 and may not make it to 75. But it's a very humbling reality. But that number is not as big as I thought it was going to be. That time is short. There is an urgency about our lives. And again, what is it that's the greatest commandment and the, the, the second part of the greatest commandment? Love God, love people. Because time is short. And we need to wake up. And in fact, the, the second main point is that we need to wake up now. We need to wake up now. Really, Romans 13 is a warning to the church to, to wake up from their slumber and the reason why they need to wake up from their slumber. And we see in Romans 13, chapter 11, a parallel to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Ephesians 5, 14 says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We get this constant metaphor of the reality that we can be spiritually asleep. Just spiritually asleep kind of numb to what God is trying to do around us, numb to what God is calling us to do. And, and really, sleep is kind of the, the culmination of personal comfort. I mean, nobody really benefits when I sleep. When I sleep, in fact, I may be a detriment to those around me. I have to sleep with a CPAP so that I don't snore and keep Julie and the, the pets and the kids awake. But sleep is about, I just want to rest and be comfortable, especially this time of year when you wake up and it's a little chilly and you just want to stay under that warm blanket. Spiritually, that can define a lot of how we live our lives. Just snuggled up. And we have our nice quiet times and we enjoy our church and we've got our Christian bubble and everything is just right so much so that we can begin to fall asleep and not be ready and available to what God is seeking to do through us. In a sense, we become indifferent to our salvation. Our salvation stops making a daily impact on how we live, and it stops being a motivating factor for how we live. We start going through the motions. We, we just go through this spiritual sleepiness and it becomes an obstacle to the model that Jesus gave us as to how to go about living life. Jesus made the most of his time. In fact, his earthly ministry, you know, only lasted three years. Think about everything he accomplished in those three years. I'm not saying go out and work as hard as Jesus did. What I'm saying is be awake, like Jesus was awake. Be alert, be attentive. Jesus said, I can only do what I see my Father doing. To do that, you need to have eyes that are awake and open and alert to see what your Father is doing around you. But not only is there a parallel here to Ephesians 5.14, but there's also this sense of waking up now because of the scope of our salvation. Because as we've talked about before, a lot of times we can define salvation as, well, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It's my ticket to heaven. And a lot of times what we see happen is, is that becomes the thrust of our evangelistic call. 
We ask people, do you want to know that you go to heaven when you die? And, well, yeah, of course I do. So say this prayer, boom, your ticket is punched, you're good to go. And then we scratch our heads why there's such a problem with discipleship. Because we never made that part of the call. The call isn't just get your ticket punched to heaven. The call is to become a follower of Jesus Christ. To allow your life to begin to be molded and shaped into the likeness of Christ. So that that salvation impacts how you live your life, how you face each new day, how you interact with the world around us. Our salvation encompasses every part of our lives today, not just where we spend eternity. And so with that, there's a sense of urgency about our salvation. Because if we truly believe what we claim to believe, and I want us to think about that. Is there an urgency about our salvation? Because we can go through our statement of faith and we can say, yes, I believe this, I agree with this, I agree with this. But the question becomes, do we really? Do we really believe what we profess to believe? Because in the Alliance statement of faith, it says that those who don't respond to Christ, including those who have never heard, will face eternal torment and hell. Do we actually believe that? The answer isn't a mental one. The answer is, does how I live my life reflect that I believe that? Because if I go through life with this spiritual sleepiness and I feel no compulsion to introduce the people around me, the people that I say I love and care for, Do we really believe it? Is there an urgency about our salvation? To wake up and say, if time is short, I need to make this message of salvation known to as many as I can. But not only wake up to the reality of salvation, but to move on to an awakened life, a fully awakened life. And part of that is to put on the armor of God. To put on the armor of God and be ready for the spiritual battles that we're going to be facing. Many can look back over this year and think about spiritual battles that you faced in 2023. And I know for certain that we'll face spiritual battles in 2024, not because I'm being doom and gloom about 2024, but because the Bible talks about an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion that there will be spiritual battles. And if we're asleep, it's kind of hard to be ready for those battles. If you're asleep, you're a very easy target for a very hungry lion. And sometimes we go through the list of the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and, and we kind of try to visualize we're actively putting these on rather than these are things that I'm receiving from the Holy Spirit to face life. Because if we truly desire to be awake in Christ and live the lives that he's called us to live with a sense of urgency, realizing that the time is short, fully loving God, fully loving people, the enemy's not going to sit back and say, oh, I think I'll just watch you do that. He's going to do what he can to try to stop that. And that's why Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Be aware, be ready because he's going to try to throw you off track. So not only put on that armor of God, but also clothe yourself with Jesus. 
that was kind of one of the reflections that we had with Christmas. Was that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into this world. He took on human flesh and lived life in this world. And 2,000 years later, today, through the Holy Spirit, we are called to be clothed with Christ. So that Christ can live in you. Christ can live through you to the world around us. To be united with him. To stop being derailed by the desires of the flesh and live for the desires of the Spirit. The late preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said, The rags of sin must come off if we put on the robe of Christ. There must be a taking away of the love of sin. There must be a renouncing of the practices and habits of sin, or else a man cannot be a Christian. It will be an idle attempt to try and wear religion as a sort of celestial overall over the top of old sins. I talked about when I played football and the coach would throw the ball in the middle of the mud. And we'd have to dive into that mud and fight for the ball so that we can shower and go home. Now, can you imagine? And let's just say that in teenage years, especially earlier teen years, when you're playing football, you're not always diligent about getting those practice pads and uniforms cleaned like you should. You just kind of take it off, hang it in the locker, and you come back the next day, and it's just like this caked mud that you figure will just eventually kind of flake itself off. Football locker rooms can be incredibly smelly places to be. Not as bad as hockey, but pretty bad, especially when you're at the junior high level. Can you imagine if I had my crusted, muddy football jersey and I decided I was going to go on a date, and so I threw a nice shirt over top of it. It's not going to cover up much. It's not going to cover up anything. And sometimes we think, oh, I can just commit whatever sins I want, live in sin, and it's fine, but I'm going to put on Jesus, and everything's going to be wonderful. It just creates confusion. You look nice, but you reek. If we're to put on Christ, we've got to deal with the nasty stuff underneath and allow a very painful experience of Jesus searching our hearts and pointing out the things in us that aren't pleasing to him. Because I would much rather look at all the Christians around me and say, well, they should stop doing this or they should do this. You know, we can examine everybody else's spiritual life, but do we really allow the Holy Spirit to, to shine that light on us and say, you need to deal with this. I want you to stop doing that. And there may be times on things that aren't cut and dry where you see other Christians engaging in it, but the Holy Spirit says to you, I don't want you doing that because it's not good for your soul. There was a period several years ago where my sense of happiness every week was dependent upon what the Steelers did on Sunday. And so for a couple of seasons, God said, watching football is not evil, but I don't want you doing it right now. And I kind of had to shelf that passion because it was becoming too consuming. Are there things in our lives where the Holy Spirit is saying, I need you to put that on the shelf, or I need you to allow me to clean this up? 
Are we as willing to let the Holy Spirit examine us as we are of examining others? And this last point, to live this awakened life on earth as it is in heaven. To live into this reality of the already not yet. That's the kingdom of God. It's, it's already established, but it's not yet established. Jesus instituted his kingdom. And one day it's going to be fully realized, but it's already been kicked off. And so we lean into that reality of seeking to build his kingdom, to do the work of the kingdom, which isn't going to be perfect. It's going to be messy at times because it's not fully realized yet. But are we allowing the Holy Spirit to wake us up to the point where our focus is the kingdom of God and the work of God's kingdom each day? Are we willing to pray for the work of God's kingdom? Remember, when Jesus taught us to pray, part of that was to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May the reality of the kingdom become the reality of life in this world. And it's really easy for us to say, well, Jesus is coming back soon, and the world just keeps getting worse, and so I'm just going to sit back and wait. Essentially, what we do is we say, I'm going to go to sleep until that trumpet alarm sounds and I can get out of here. Rather than, Lord, I'm going to live my life with urgency, but also with the awareness, just like the disciples in the first century. They lived with this reality that any second Jesus was coming back, but it was that urgency that made them prioritize living for the kingdom of God. We have this sense of the imminent return of Jesus, and we allow that to cause us to lose our urgency and just throw up our hands and quit. Rather than say, if I believe that Jesus could come back at any minute, then I need to fully invest the time I have in doing the work of the kingdom of God. And it's not going to be because we hunker down and we try really hard and we put forth all the effort we can. It's going to be beginning and primarily because we cry out to God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we focus this week and this first week of the 40 days of prayer of wake up now, are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to wake us up to pull us out of our spiritual sleepiness, to, to pull us out of just going through the motions. What might God be saying to you this morning? What might the Holy Spirit be revealing to you? What might Jesus want to do in your life today to begin to transition you into this Life that is fully awake for the kingdom of God and watching for the opportunities that God has around you. Maybe something about this convicted you. And if so, I would urge you to receive that conviction from the Lord. Say, Lord, what are you asking me to do? If you're encouraged somehow, receive that encouragement. Say, Lord, thank you. I needed to hear that.
the most troubling response we can have to the wake-up call of God is to be indifferent. Just pull the blanket up closer to our chin and fall back to sleep. What Paul is saying here in Romans 13 is, church, wake up. Wake up now. Love God. Love people. Live with urgency for the sake of the gospel and the work of the kingdom. The time is now. So how might the Holy Spirit be calling you to receive that? How might the Holy Spirit be calling you to act on that today and this week? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would awaken